Welcome to Voices for Elder Care Advocacy with your hosts, Phyllis Amon and Rubina Chaudhry. Seniors deserve to have a life with respect, dignity, and fulfillment. But as we transition into elderhood, this doesn't always happen. Join us today as we discuss some of the most important issues that seniors face and provide much-needed answers to your questions. Now, here are Phyllis and Rubina. Welcome to Voices for Elder Care Advocacy. I'm Phyllis Amon, your host. My co-host, Rubina Chaudhry, is currently traveling abroad. I'll be here today um, discussing dementia with a variety of uh, guests, three guests actually, uh, discussing causes, symptoms, interventions. And my first guest on today's show is Lynn Beat-Gordon who is the Chief Operations Officer and co-founder of the National Council of Certified Dementia Practitioners, which was founded in 2003 with Sandra Stimson, and the International Council of Certified Dementia Practitioners, founded in 2015. Lynn is a certified um, a clinical social worker, certified dementia practitioner, certified Alzheimer's disease dementia care trainer, and a certified Montessori dementia care professional, as well as a certified dementia support group facilitator. She has over 30 years of experience as a social worker and is a national speaker, health educator, consultant, and author of a health care curriculum for elder care. Welcome, Lynn. How are you doing today? Well, thank you. I'm doing great today, and how are you? I'm doing great, and I just want to add that I'm very proud to say that through the National Council of Certified Dementia Practitioners, I've also received certifications as a dementia practitioner, Alzheimer's disease dementia care trainer, manager, and most recently, just last weekend actually, the certification in Montessori for dementia. So I have to thank you and Sandra, the organization, so much for helping me achieve those certifications. Wow, well, we thank you right back because one of our missions is to make sure that we provide quality education to trainers so that they can spread the word and education and dementia awareness to frontline caregivers as well as caregivers living at home. Excuse me. So thank you so much for joining us. Oh, I am very proud of it, to tell you the truth, and um, I've spoken to so many people recently who crave this information. There is Mm -hmm. information online. People can Google it. People can look it up. But somehow when you're talking face-to-face, they have an opportunity to attend a seminar or um, receive their certification themselves as a caregiver. It, It just makes a world of difference rather than just Googling information. So Absolutely. how did National, Care, uh, National Council for Certified Dementia Practitioners, you know, come about? Well, um, we actually started um, when Sandra Stimson and I um, were doing consulting in facilities and developing uh, dementia-specific trainings for their staff. So we would go to facilities and teach different topics. So they might ask us for a presentation on dementia and nutrition, dementia and sexuality, dementia and aggression. So we were doing the research and developing this curriculum. And after a while, we realized we had pretty much developed one full, complete, comprehensive course. 
So we took it out on the road. We started teaching it at, you know, basically the minimum was an eight-hour training. We started doing that in facilities. And one day we were walking out of a facility after we did the training, and a CNA came up to us and said, so now am I certified? And we looked at her and we said, certified in what? She goes, dementia care. That's what we've been talking about all day. And we thought, well, thank you very much. <laughs> and so we went back to our offices, you know, contacted the necessary folks to, you know, get this up and running. And that was the birth of the National Council of Certified Dementia Practitioners because we actually brought together a council of professionals and caregivers in many different, from many different fields, um, everyone and anyone that would touch a dementia, you know, someone who is suffering with dementia up close and personal. So we talked to caregivers. We talked to the postman. We talked to a public utility person. Um, and, and then, of course, we had the psychiatrist, psychologist, the social worker, the activity professionals, the uh, dietitian. We had such a beautiful cross-exchange of information because we had all of these backgrounds, and that was the birth of the council because they became our advisors and advocates about what kind of information would you need in your training in order to feel that you walked away feeling like a sufficient caregiver? And so they shared that information with us. And through the years, as we built the curriculum, it morphs, it changes, because things are, you know, as people become more aware, we don't have to keep training certain aspects. Now we can bring in new information. Right. An example would be when we began, Chapter 11, for example, when we began, Chapter 11 was a complete tutorial on what an advanced directive was and how to set one up for your loved one. That was 17 years ago. We don't even need to do that anymore. Right. <laughs> the community is more aware and more educated now. So we've seen our curriculum just start to morph over the years based on what's relevant and what's needed for the caregiver, whether they're a professional caregiver or someone at home taking care of their loved one. You know, you just so you touched on something in what you said uh, mm -hmm. that I don't know if people are aware of. You said the postman, the... Mm -hmm. uh, the policemen, yes. actually, uh, anybody mm -hmm. in a grocery store. There is right. uh, training for dementia-friendly communities now because now. people, mm -hmm. obviously, there are a lot of people living in their community that, that mm -hmm. shop and travel, people who get lost when they're driving, exactly. uh, people who are walking on the street and, uh, you know, maybe lose their bearings. And so people really have to be aware and knowledgeable on how to approach a person like this, what, what those uh, symptoms are, what they may be feeling and experiencing, and help them. So do you want mm -hmm. to talk a little bit about dementia-friendly communities and the training, um, how a community decides to go down that path or how they get that or if people can encourage their communities to pursue that kind of training? Yes. You know, now we're starting to see this kind of training now on the upswing because we realize that there are folks, key folks in the community, like the postman who says, you know, I deliver the mail every day to this lady and I realize she doesn't even remember how to take the mail out of the box on her porch now and she doesn't change her clothes anymore. But I know she has no one living there to help her. You know, so there are folks like that living in the community saying, well, how do we help? So now we're starting to see the upswing of small groups now starting to make the efforts to create dementia-friendly communities. There are different restaurant chains now around the country that are making that effort so that when you bring your loved one in for a meal, 
you know, they're identified as someone who might need special assistance or someone that you might need to take special time with when they're ordering or clarifying things from the menu for them. Um, they make the seating closer to the bathroom. They actually have a small symbol on their door in their window to let people know they're a dementia-friendly restaurant. There's also now an, a major movement with TSA, so when folks are traveling, and we actually sit on a committee with them on their monthly calls uh, to give input so that when, when uh, someone who is cognitively impaired is coming through the airport to understand, they don't know this new process with taking off your shoes or not taking off your shoes right. or going through a detector you know, to, be, to have your body scanned. So thank goodness our elders don't have to take their shoes off. So that was one movement in the right direction because that can be very disconcerting and confusing to someone. But now they're building in other types of safeguards in order to make sure that they handle someone who is cognitively impaired in a more dignified way throughout the airports of the United States. And we sit on the committee for that to give input. I just so, thought of something when you were talking about that. I'm mm -hmm. thinking about having to walk through that detector where they uh, scan your body. Even that mm -hmm. for somebody who has dementia uh, mm -hmm. could be quite a, um, a challenging experience, if not even yeah, a frightening experience. Exactly. I was about to say that. Yes, it can be frightening. So normally now the practice would be that they bypass the scanner and they take them on the other side to just put them through the, the old-fashioned scanner where you don't have right. to stand in the booth with your arms up and all of that. So they'll take them through the, um, the, the basic scanner now. Um, and it, so far it's been working. And they, and they come to recognize, especially people who announce it, they'll say, you know, I'm, I'm with my, my elderly parent and he really can't manage that. You know, so they know, and, and they don't question it. They just bring them right through. Um, so, that's so there's been terrific. a lot more patience and sensitivity built into it. Yeah, yes, that, That's absolutely. terrific. So mm -hmm. what would, um, how, how would people identify uh, the normal aging process or, let's say, um, normal forgetfulness from mm -hmm. symptoms associated with dementia? Okay. So with normal aging, it is very normal to forget parts of an event but later recall it. Where the red light should go off is when we forget parts of an event and we cannot recall it later. And we all do that. You know, you're trying to tell someone about right. someone you met at the wedding and you can't remember their name. And at 3 o'clock in the morning, you sit straight up in your bed and go, Harry, his name was Harry. <laughs> you know, and, and that's normal stuff. That's normal. Um, but when we get to a point where we cannot recall the information, that should be a red flag. There's other items, too, that we should be careful with. Also looking at someone starting to have word-finding problems. Um, someone who's starting to have more um, comprehension issues. Um, so say they read the newspaper, they read an article at 10 a.m., and then they're trying to tell you about it at noon. If now they seem to have issues with their short-term short -term retrieval of that information, um, that should be a bit of a red flag too. And, I, and again, there are other factors that, you know, I don't want to panic people, but there are other factors also in there that, you know, sometimes stress, can show us the same type of symptoms. You know, sometimes just being overwhelmed or frightened can trigger the same kind of things in us as well. So, but what I'm talking about is when we start to see a gradual pattern over a long period of time, that should be a red flag that this is not normal aging. And unfortunately, throughout 
the U.S., we have bought into cultural norms. And one of the cultural norms, I call it a myth, is that, oh, you're supposed to, you know, get forgetful as you age. Don't we all? And that right. is not true. And unfortunately, as I said, we buy into these, these we call them norms, but they're actually myths. And right. so we need to understand that, you know, losing your memory, losing your thoughts is not a normal part of aging. It is not. Um, so there are a few, you know, red flags like those that I just named. Yeah. Uh, so that's very interesting. Now I have one other question because mm-hmm. sometimes people think that Alzheimer's disease and dementia are two different things. Uh, but Alzheimer's is a disease and dementia is a group of symptoms. Exactly. But people, you'll hear people say sometimes, and, and tell me if this has been your experience. Oh, thank God! I thank God it's not Alzheimer's disease. Oh, sure, sure. Um, and you know, people don't understand. There's over a hundred different diseases that can cause the symptoms of dementia. Alzheimer's is just the more prevalent disease. It accounts for. Uh, two-thirds of all cases of dementia. So that's why we hear the term Alzheimer's used so frequently. But there's over 100 different illnesses or diseases that can cause symptomology of dementia. And as you said, dementia is just the word we use to explain the body of symptoms. You know, that when we become... um, when we start to have memory problems, even deficits in orientation and language, um, you know, all of those are, I call it like, you know, the symptomology or the set of words that we use to describe what's happening to someone cognitively. And we just use that one word, dementia, to describe it rather than <laughs> sitting and giving this long explanation. And what people don't realize is um, Alzheimer's is just one, but because it's the more prevalent one, you hear the word used all the time. So people will say, oh, thank goodness she just has dementia. It's not Alzheimer's. <laughs> well, if she has dementia, it might be Alzheimer's or it might be a multi, you know, some other disease that's causing the issue. It could be a Parkinson's-related dementia. Right. You know, and, it could and, be and related to a, Huntington's disease. Mm-hmm. Right. I was just going to say, mm-hmm. and there's, there's vascular dementia and Lewy right. body dementia. As a matter exactly. of fact, I believe it was Robin Williams who had... Um, didn't he have Louis body dementia? Yes, I think so. I think yeah. so. Yeah. And mm-hmm. uh, frontal temporal dementia. I mean, as you said, there are so many, mm-hmm. uh, but people don't associate it uh, the same way, I guess, because mm-hmm. maybe Alzheimer's is more recognizable, or like you say, maybe because it accounts for more of the cases associated exactly. with symptoms related to dementia. But Alzheimer's is a disease, and dementia is a group of symptoms. Right, and the, and that are being caused by one of those many diseases. Exactly. Right. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I said that you speak around the country. What are some of the places that you go to to train people or mm-hmm. seminars that you give? Would people be able to contact the National Council for Certified Dementia Practitioners or you personally mm-hmm. to find out about if their community can receive seminars or where they would go to find a yes. seminar? Yes. Okay. So we pretty much are nationwide. We're also international as well. But here in the U.S., the best way to reach us is through our website, nccdp.org. And they can contact us um, on our Contact Us page, and or they can call directly from the Contact Us page, call our office directly. And we 
go anywhere the client is. We do private trainings at facilities. We do private trainings just for caregivers living at home who say, listen, I want you to give an informal or a very formal training to my family because we're about to take care of our mother and there's 12 of us and we want to make sure we're doing the right thing. So we even do it for private families. We do it for national organizations, for their national conferences. We love doing that because when we're at those conferences, we reach the masses all in one day. Um, right now, I'm actually in Los Angeles because I just did a training here um, right outside of Los Angeles in Long Beach. And I had a classroom of professionals who came from all different backgrounds. They came from home care agencies, assisted living. There was a woman there who was also a geriatric care manager. So they're wanting to get their education as well so that they can be well informed when they meet their new client and the family. Um, so we provide training on many different levels to many different groups of people with very diverse backgrounds. Um, so there's, you know, it's very easy to contact us, and we're willing to go. As I said, we go anywhere the client is. We go to Alaska. We go to Montana. We go to North Dakota, South Dakota, and you know, places that people, you know, say, oh, you know, what's happening in Alaska? Dementia. Right. Exactly. <laughs> therefore, I mean, obviously, therefore, it's not yeah. about a particular community area. Mm -hmm. It has nothing to do with educational background, mm -hmm. money, mm -hmm. religion, mm -hmm. schools. I mean, I, right. I, I always and, and, say yeah. that these things are the great equalizer. And I didn't mean to interrupt you, but mm -hmm. I've done uh, seminars on caregiving in a variety of places. And mm -hmm. I always start out with asking people who's caring for an older one or who knows somebody. Mm -hmm. Before you know it, everybody's hands are raised. And I say it's the great equalizer. It absolutely is, and that's why I say, you know, that dementia is a global issue. So you're going to find it in all places, all corners of the globe. You know, and you just mentioned religious, uh, religious affiliations too, and how I do presentations for churches because they have dementia in their church, and they want to right. know how do we make the environment safe for our members who still come to church who might get up and start to walk about right in the middle of the service or start speaking out loudly. You know, how do we handle it? What do we do? So I provide training, you know, to not just churches, synagogues, um, and believe it or not, yeah, restaurants too, to the front line, you know, the employees. <laughs> so we go to every corner of the globe to provide education. Well, thanks so much, Lynn. This has been so informative. Uh, we're going to take a short break, and when we return, we'll be talking with someone who is helping to care for his father who is cognitively impaired. So thanks so much, Lynn, and um, I, I'm sure the listeners received a wealth of information. I'm sure people will be reaching out to, the, to you and to the National Council of Certified Dementia Practitioners. Yes, and thank you, Phyllis. Thank you for giving us the opportunity at NCCDP to be able to present to your listeners. We are so appreciative. Uh, my thank pleasure. You. We're on Facebook, along with some of the greatest minds of the world, and that includes you. Visit us on Facebook at Voice America Empowerment. Phyllis Amen, the voice for elder care advocacy, provides strategic solutions to families seeking care for their loved ones in short-term rehab, long-term care, or memory care. Her unique knowledge comes from working in over 40 skilled nursing facilities. Phyllis's passion for quality care and quality of life for our loved ones sets her apart. 
She encourages families to plan by choice, not by crisis. Visit phyllisheldercare.info for a consultation. Phyllis is also a speaker for both the public and private sector on various issues related to caregiving, communication, empathy, and aging. Rabina Chaudhry is president and founder of Mars Services, an engineering management consulting firm, as well as founder and president of all of Community Services, a 501c3, which provides culturally appropriate supportive services to seniors, their families, and the community. Rabina's passion for the elder population stems from her experience as an only child living over 1,000 miles away from her aging parents, who are now 91 years of age. She understands the delicate issues and decisions caregivers face. Visit olivecs.org to get further information about Olive's programs and services. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Find out what makes the most successful people tick. Keep listening to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are tuned in to Voices for Elder Care Advocacy with Phyllis Amon and Rubina Chaudhry. If you'd like to leave us a question or comment about our program, please feel free to email your hosts from the Voices for Elder Care Advocacy show page on Voice America. Now, back to Voices for Elder Care Advocacy. Welcome back. We're continuing the discussion on dementia with Dr. Cameron Camp. How are you doing, Cameron? May I call you that? Oh, please do, yes. Uh, uh, No formalities. I've never believed in it, so Cameron's fine. Thank you. Great. So I'd like to tell the listeners a little about you before we begin our discussion. So I will say Dr. Cameron Camp, for purposes of introducing you, is a noted psychologist specializing in applied research in gerontology and currently serves as Director of Research and Development for the Center for Applied Research in Dementia and originally developed the use of the Montessori method as an intervention for use with persons with dementia. And uh, you give workshops on designing cognitive and behavioral intervention for dementia, not only in the United States, but internationally, don't you? Uh, Yes. Uh, We do a lot of work with Dementia Australia. We've done uh, training in Taiwan and Singapore we have uh, a lot of work that we do in Europe, and we have training partners there, uh, France, uh, Belgium, uh, Switzerland, Italy, Poland, Slovenia, Spain, and then uh, a few trips to, the, uh, to Ireland, and uh, uh, staff have gone to the UK, and I've been to Norway, and then throughout Canada and the US. So what we're doing, we're doing uh, on an international scale. Gee, I think maybe you should start a, a touring agency. <laughs> you can <laughs> I, I have conduct a, dementia tours around the world. It's a whole other sideline. <laughs> well, I have a heavily stamped passport. I'll say it that way. <laughs> <laughs> so these interventions are all designed to reduce challenging behaviors associated with uh, dementia and increase the level of functioning and quality of life. 
Um, do you want to talk about that a little bit so that the listeners can understand how that translates into everyday life? Sure. So uh, a couple of things. Uh, the Montessori approach first is based on a set of values. Uh, the values are respect, dignity, and equality. And so uh, these are to be shown to everyone with or without dementia. And, and then they're also based on a set of core principles, such as always invite the person. Uh, I'll, I'll show you a little example. We say try to get rid of the word can from your vocabulary. If you say can you help me, that's a test. So we say, right. say, would you? Would you help me? Would you is a choice. Would you help me uh, levels the playing field, uh, your equals? The person may say no. It gives them that option. But uh, you know, Maya Angelou said, uh, I will forget what you say. I'll forget what you do. I'll never forget how you make me feel. And it's all about how a person feels uh, in their interactions. So when a person has choice, that's very different than when they're being tested, like can you do this? Can you read this as opposed to would you read this? So we look at choice. We always want to demonstrate what we want a person to do before we ask them to do it. Um, and so, uh, uh, for example, to enable a guy to shave himself, uh, um, a woman who is a caregiver uh, can take an electric razor and kind of turn it on and put it on her face a little bit to show that it doesn't hurt and then hand it to him and guide him in, uh, in shaving. And what's interesting is that when a person with dementia practices something, the effects of practice uh, accumulate and build up over time. You get better with practice. You may not remember the episode of practice if you have dementia, but the hands remember and the muscles remember. Montessori called that muscle memory. And so... Um, just a principle of always demonstrating and telling a person what you're going to do before you do it um, so that you get their permission. You know, may I, you know, help you put your hand through the sleeve. That's very different than reaching for their hand without explaining anything. Absolutely. And so, you know, yeah, yeah. And so it's, it's about treating people the way we wish to be treated. It's, it's, uh, it's, a, way of, it's a way of living. And so... Uh, uh, when we take these approaches and we treat people like people, oddly enough, people uh, respond in kind. People, people reflect back the way they're treated. If we, and if we, we treat people with respect, uh, they respond differently than if we don't. And that goes for everyone, not only, um, not only for dementia. But, you know, we're, we're using the word Montessori, and we're talking about Montessori for dementia, do you want to describe a little bit how, about how this came about, how it was born? Oh, you and I had a conversation several months ago, and I told you that my children went to a Montessori school. Oh, yeah. And as a yeah. speech pathologist working with many people with dementia in, in the over 40 skilled nursing facilities where I worked, some things... I believe I applied from Montessori that just intuitively seemed like they made sense. Uh, so how did Montessori for dementia actually come about? Yes, my original work, I'm a, I'm a psychologist. I was in academia. And uh, my original uh, research as an experimental psychologist was with uh, uh, older adults without dementia and uh, I was looking at uh, memory and cognition, looking at how to 
teach older adults to remember things better. And then uh, my family and I moved uh, to New Orleans where I took a job. And I started doing work uh, as a, as a uh, volunteer and as a, a faculty member to uh, study uh, the population more in, in one of the first adult day centers for persons with dementia in the country in, in the suburb of uh, New Orleans, Kenner, Louisiana. And all of the things I was using for adults without dementia were useless trying to get persons with dementia to learn. And I was like flummoxed. And then at the same time, my children started a Montessori school, um, a daughter and a son. And, and suddenly it's like the sky opens up and the angels sing. And uh, it just, it, it was all the dots connected. And, um, you know, uh, from there it was a step-by-step progression uh, to learn more about her and to see how that educational approach uh, would work. For instance, in a Montessori school, uh, uh, things are kept in the same location. Um, the ability to learn locations uh, enables a child to know where to go to find things, to find where to do their math work or to find their shoes. And so um, I'll give you an example. My, my mother-in-law had Alzheimer's disease. She came to stay with my wife and I and um, uh, over a summer, and her son, my wife's brother, brought her to our house, and um, he was doing an internship at the Cleveland Clinic. So he leaves, and after about 10 minutes, my mother-in-law goes to my wife and says, you know, where's my son? And uh, my wife says, he's at the clinic. He'll be back at 530. It's great. And so that satisfied her. But then because of the dementia, 20 minutes later, she comes back and says, where's my son? Now, my wife, Montessori teacher, 25 years, writes down on a sheet of paper, your son is at the clinic, he'll be back at 5.30, made sure that her mother could read it, knew that that was the content that would address her anxiety, tapes the message down on the uh, kitchen countertop, and when her mother would ask the question, she'd say, you know there's a message about that, we should go and see, and took her to that location, Location learning is something that kicks in early in life. It's there available to people with dementia. Uh, the mother, she said, what does this say? And instead of telling her the answer, had her mother practice retrieving the information from an external source, the message. The mother reads it for herself, says, okay, I get it. An hour later, where's my son? My wife goes through the same procedure because when you practice a procedure in the same way, you get better with practice. Right. And for the rest of the summer, uh, when her mother would get anxious, her feet would carry her to that location. She'd read the message that reduced her anxiety, and my wife was taken out of the loop. And my wife. So, from enabled, what you're saying, um, yes, I think it dispels the idea that people with dementia cannot learn. That is a lot. What you're saying, it it sounds as if they can learn. Yes, yes, it depends on how you teach, but they absolutely can learn. That's incredibly important for people to know. And uh, uh, it's it's about how you teach. But persons with dementia are learning all the time. They're learning to like us. They're learning to not like us by the way they feel when we interact. Um. They can learn locations. Uh, I always say there's an easy test to see if a person with dementia is learning a location. Uh, put somebody else in the chair they usually sit in, uh, in the 
uh, memory care and see what happens. It happens, right? You're sitting in my that, chair. <laughs> that's exactly it. That's exactly what happens. And so it's exactly, the, the absolutely. Question. There are many You've a fight this, in many dining rooms because somebody's sitting in somebody else's chair. <laughs> right? Yes. And so here's the question. If this person came to the memory care neighborhood because they have dementia, and after they moved in, they learned where to sit at lunch. They learned it after the onset of dementia. They are learning all the time. There are many forms of learning available to people with dementia if we want to look for them and take advantage of them. So you describe traveling around the world to many, many different countries. Do you think there's a difference in receptiveness for Montessori for dementia in the United States as compared to other countries? Yeah, I think I think it's it's Montessori for dementia is becoming more and more uh, on the radar, so to speak, in the United States. Uh, I can tell you in French-speaking Switzerland that when uh, inspectors come into a nursing home, the first question they ask now is, "Are you using Montessori methods?" Oh, wow! Yeah, yeah, because they've seen the results in France. Uh, all training for nursing home staff is paid for by the state and the state has a list of approved trainings for dementia and now at the top of that list is Montessori for dementia. That and is so, awesome. Yeah, what would it take yeah. to get that accomplished in the United States, do you think? Or do you think it's even <laughs> possible? I think that once people realize that this is also a good business model, that... Uh, uh, people will start to think about it because when a person with dementia is engaged in meaningful activity, they cannot at the same time be exhibiting what we call responsive or what people sometimes call challenging behavior. You know, Montessori was brought into the, the slums of Rome to work with preschool children destroying property, and her intervention was to create a school where they would find a way out of poverty. And as a byproduct, they stopped throwing rocks through windows. And so the best treatment for responsive behaviors in persons with dementia is to give them meaningful activity, a quality of life, uh, to be able to engage them throughout the day. And when that happens, then you see this huge drop. I mean, we've done the research, huge drop in the use of psychotropic medications, drops in things like staff turnover because it's a better job, it's a safer job, uh, increases in census, uh, people staying longer in assisted living, weight gain, um, all of these measures flow in a good direction when you have uh, a good quality of life. And so it's, it's what the market is going to want in, a, in, in our country when you can show that it's, uh, it, it, it's a good business model and it makes sense. And it's, it's not about expensive things. It's about thinking differently. It's about speaking differently. When that happens... I think uh, uh, the light uh, will come on. Um, and so uh, that's, that's at least my hope. We're here to change the standards of an industry, but I think we have a path forward for that. Uh, I agree. Uh, I was thinking uh, as somebody who's worked in many skilled nursing facilities that the Montessori method can be applied not only to persons with dementia, but for the people who live in 
skilled nursing facilities at large because many of the hallmarks of nursing home life, so to speak, if you want to say life in quotes, actually, a boredom, lack of purpose. And there are many people who exhibit, and we're talking about challenging behaviors. We didn't really describe what those are in in the last few minutes that we have, but that includes um, do you want to talk about what some of those I'll challenging give you, behaviors Yeah, I'll give you are? an example. I'll give you an example. There was a woman in an advanced dementia neighborhood who had been an exotic dancer, and she was blind. And they had a cool-down period in the afternoon, which meant nothing goes on, you know, from like one thirty to 3.30, so people don't get overexcited. Right. And that time would come, uh, being bored and with nothing else to do, she would climb on top of a table and say, bring on the boys. <laughs> I love it. Not only, yeah, uh, fall risk and all kinds of things, like I said, cancer and blind. And so, you know, the, the treatment was to give her something to do, like make presents for her grandchildren at that time. And so, uh, yeah, it's, it's about being able to treat dementia by giving a better quality of life and giving purpose. And when a person is making presents for their grandchildren, and I know what table they're not climbing up on. And so we have a, a book, for example, called Hiding the Stranger in the Mirror. Uh, it's, uh, you can look at it on Amazon or on our website. But it's designed to teach people how to ask the question, why is this happening? And then to try to match that up with ideas for interventions that are you know, non-pharmacologic. And the answer is never because they have dementia. Why is this happening? Because they have dementia. How do you know they have dementia? Because this is happening. Right. <laughs> it's, it's a, it's a circular, circular reasoning. Argument. It doesn't help anybody. It doesn't solve any problems. So we have to learn to think like detectives and think differently. And you know, that's a resource that's available. It was written for people who are taking care of persons at home as well as you know, in long-term care. And another secret when this starts to happen in memory care, people in assisted living and independent living also want it because it's about having committees who decide where they want to go for outings and how they want to greet new people and, and what they want uh, for meals and can they help prepare it and how they're going to uh, choose their own entertainment. Uh, I've got videos of persons in memory care interviewing new staff to say this is how we live here now and we want you to understand it. And so when you give control back to people, um, that's what begins to happen, and everyone wants that, not just people with dementia, not just nursing homes. So I I have one last question in the last minute that we have remaining. If people um, have loved ones with dementia that are living at home, how can they receive information or training in Montessori for dementia? How would they go about that? And maybe you could give... Uh, supply some of your contact information or where they could sure. go to get this information or is it feasible for them to get this information with when no, they're at home? No, it's very useful, very useful in home settings. So you can go to our website, which is www.cencharlesedwardnancy, the number four, A-R-D, Alan Robert David, dot com. So cen4ard.com. We've got lots of resources. Uh, we've done training uh, for people uh, who are taking care of persons in their home. And, uh, um, and then just email us with any questions you have. We're always glad to help. 
Oh, that's really terrific. So thanks so much, Cameron, for taking the time to share your insights and your expertise. Uh, We're going to take a short break, and when we return, we're going to continue the conversation on dementia with a fellow who is helping to care for his father who has dementia. So we'll be back in a few. Find out what makes the most successful people tick. Keep listening to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Phyllis Amen, the voice for elder care advocacy, provides strategic solutions to families seeking care for their loved ones in short-term rehab, long-term care, or memory care. Her unique knowledge comes from working in over 40 skilled nursing facilities. Phyllis's passion for quality care and quality of life for our loved ones sets her apart. She encourages families to plan by choice, not by crisis. Visit phyllisheldercare.info for a consultation. Phyllis is also a speaker for both the public and private sector on various issues related to caregiving, communication, empathy, and aging. Rabina Chaudhry is president and founder of Mars Services, an engineering management consulting firm, as well as founder and president of Olive Community Services, a 501c3, which provides culturally appropriate supportive services to seniors, their families, and the community. Rabina's passion for the elder population stems from her experience as an only child living over 1,000 miles away from her aging parents, who are now 91 years of age. She understands the delicate issues and decisions caregivers face. Visit olivecs.org to get further information about Olive's programs and services. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Find out what makes the most successful people tick. Keep listening to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are tuned in to Voices for Elder Care Advocacy with Phyllis Amon and Rubina Chaudhry. If you'd like to leave us a question or comment about our program, please feel free to email your hosts from the Voices for Elder Care Advocacy show page on Voice America. Now, back to Voices for Elder Care Advocacy. Welcome back. As we continue the discussion on dementia on Voices for Elder Care Advocacy, Rabina Chaudhry, my co-host, is on vacation this week. I'm here with my guest, Nelson Asensio, who is a TV and film actor, mostly known for his run on Fox TV's sketch comedy show, Mad TV. Nelson's father was diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease and more recently with lymphoma, and he relocated to New York from the West Coast to help his elderly mom and to help care for his ailing father. So thanks so much, Nelson, for willing to be with us today and share your experiences. Thank you for having me. So I think it would be interesting for listeners to hear how we met, uh, because (laughs) we don't know each other that long, but we... We connected and hit it off when we met, so maybe yeah. you want to talk about it a little bit. Immediately. Um, just pretty much, um, my dad was in uh, 
you know, in rehab after five weeks in the hospital post uh, one chemo session that didn't go so well for him for the lymphoma. And while he was in rehab, you know, there were people, you know, different uh, physical therapists, different therapists, and you were, I believe, his occupational therapist, speech therapist? Speech therapist. Speech, speech therapist. therapist. Yeah, and, um, well, immediately you were just very helpful. You had just a very kind of approachable um, way of dealing with my dad. And at the time, we were all sort of like, you know, it's, it's a very... Um, uh, sort of fragile place to be just with your loved one, especially my dad and stuff like that. It's an emotional place to be. So you kind of count on caregivers to come and approach you in a way that's human and gentle. And you were one of those people. Immediately we spoke and you got to spend some time with my dad and see where he was at. And uh, I don't know, it's just, uh, it's just from there, it's just, we just seemed to really connect on the importance of taking care of these people, especially in a rehab setting where you do see a lot of sad stuff happening and neglect and so, and I didn't want my dad to fall into that sort of statistic. So having you be there for me was really, really a, an important moment. Well, thanks for that. And uh, we really did connect. It was really kind of uh, special. It doesn't happen all the time like that, um, right. but we just connected immediately um, yeah. So how long have you been on the East Coast helping to care for your dad? Um, well, I would say going back a couple of years is when my dad was, you know, we noticed he was having some memory issues. And then I think a year and a half or so ago, he had some TIAs, the transient ischemic strokes, I think. And he right. fell and he was confused. And then we took him in. And that's when he started, um, when we started taking him to the um, neurologist. He did some tests and he was diagnosed with um, I don't even know if I get it right, but it's like dementia, Alzheimer's. I didn't know at the time how it all breaks down. Now, if I'm right, it's like dementia branches out into all these different kinds of dementia. And I guess he falls into the Alzheimer's. And then um, after that, um, you know, he was recently diagnosed a few, like I would say six months ago, he had pain. We broke. Uh, took him to a doctor, and they found some lymphatic-like inflammation and uh, growth in his stomach. And then after that, it was like we decided to attempt chemo. Of course, you don't know that much going into something like this. With an elderly, I didn't know how much uh, it would kind of take out of him. And you learn so quickly about A, dementia, B, chemo, and cancer and all that. So I'm almost an MD at this point. <laughs> <laughs> I think that but is yeah, what my happens. Dad, <laughs> <laughs> you do yourself. You you but you have to educate yourself, especially if you know you want to take good care. Or you want to make sure that your loved one's taken care of. So yeah, he had Alzheimer's and then recently cancer and then the chemo that was terrible fallout and that's how he ended up in rehab, and that's where we I, met. That I I always tell people that it's very important to educate yourself as much as possible so that you can advocate to the best possible level that you can for your loved one. So it's important mm-hmm. to really get all the information. So let me ask you this. Uh, from the time that you first saw some of these symptoms to now, how would you describe the progression of what you're seeing with your dad? I mean, I know well, what he was like when I saw him, but I haven't seen him for right. a while because you took him home, right? Right. Well, it's been quite a sort of a roller coaster ride because with the cancer thrown into the mix, it kind of threw it, it. It almost you couldn't follow what people were telling you to expect, you know. So uh, up to a year ago, he was, you know, he was very forgetful, and he started his Nemzaric, which is the dementia medicine, and um, you know, he wasn't agitated. He's he's a man of few words, but 
still very gentle kind of guy and just being forgetful and stuff like that. And then the cancer was causing pain. And then once he did the one round of chemo, as I've learned from self-educating myself on all this, it's just like whenever there's any kind of infection or anything else going on, that person will go into deeper dementia. Also, to the reason I know this is because uh, my partner's mom was going through the same thing, so we learned some things about infections and UTIs and how it can affect someone's sort of dementia. And so my dad was just, it progressed. I pushed him along, and he was way more forgetful and just not very, you know, independent. And uh, then we took him to a doctor. It was chemo, um, it was cancer, and we decided to do the chemo. And once the chemo hit, a few days after, it was like he was almost catatonic. He just went from, I, I, I he lost probably, I would say, almost like eighty percent of his cognition. And then five weeks in the hospital, and then after that. Um, I mean, sorry, a week in the hospital and then five more weeks in rehab. And in rehab, he was, as you saw him, he could barely feed himself or really do anything on his own. And now he's at home, he's put on 10 pounds, and I guess, you know, it's a testament to being home and around your loved ones and your own food and your own culture. And he is, I have videos of him dancing. And also, we have become big advocates of CBD oil and stuff like that, which I like to think has really helped. what exactly is that? I received some That's information the, about that the other day uh, for right. the first CBD. time. So what is that exactly? So CBD is, if I'm saying it right, cab- cabinoid. <laughs> it's a cannabinoid. Uh, it's a, it's a oil that's extracted from the hemp plant. And mm-hmm. it's, uh, it's legal in California, you know, medical marijuana and all that. So it's just the oil. It doesn't contain any THC, which is the psychoactive part of you know, um, CBD and smoking. So it's just oil and it's been known to um, really help with inflammation and depression and appetite, you know, and everything like that. So we've been giving it to my dad ever since, actually in the rehab, I was kind of you know, smuggling it were you, in. Were you smuggling that in? <laughs> I didn't know I about totally that was. <laughs> I totally was because they said, you know, they don't know. It's like, well, look the other way. I'm fine, but I'm giving my dad CBD because I know it's helped a lot of older people. The worst that can happen is nothing happens. So, right. um, yeah, so I give him a few drops under his tongue, and whenever he seemed a little agitated or more lost, and we've continued that at home, and it seems to work. Every time, you know, um, he gets a little bit more agitated or confused, we give him, you know, one milliliter or whatever it is under his tongue, and it really seems to help. Like I said, he's put on weight. He's calmer. He sleeps through the night. He's not had, like, disrupted sleep patterns, not for till now, thank God. Hmm, that's terrific. Uh, when I met you also, when you talk about being around the food of your culture, now this doesn't work for everybody, obviously. Every right. person is different. Um, but when I first met him, he was eating puree food. And, um, yeah, Cubans don't as, eat pureed food. <laughs> right. And then um, there was a situation, which we don't have to go into, where right. somehow he wound up with a sandwich. And yeah. uh, he was able to eat it. I came one yeah. day and you actually showed me a picture of him eating this sandwich. So um, <laughs> it was kind of funny. So, you know, I started to give him food that was more solid that he could chew. And, and he really was able to do it, uh, right. which was really terrific. And I think that makes a difference for people also. But, of course, it doesn't always work that way. I, I want to add that because it isn't of always course. 
successful and for we were person. and we were very cautious we didn't go from pureed one day to like a chicken no we perish the thought that anybody you know, would be listening to me and thinking what, what kind of professional is she what does she no, do no that's not phyllis's uh, uh you know <laughs> process there you were extremely professional and you were very careful and uh, like I said, so were we. So what we did was as soon as he came home, my mom, who's a fantastic cook, you know, um, started taking all his favorite food and actually pureeing. And so black beans became black bean soup, you know, and rice became rice pudding. Things that were a little bit softer and little by little introduced more. And as my dad's cognition started coming back since he's been home, um, he's pretty much eating like he was before. Um, significantly more. And like I said, he's put on like 10 pounds. He's got a little bit of a belly again where before he was emaciated. He was 98 pounds and rehab. Um, my dad wow. is not a big guy, but he was usually, my dad is usually hovers around 140 and he dropped down to 98 pounds when he was in rehab. Wow. And he is now up to like, back up to like 110, 114. Um, our, our goal is not to like fatten him up or anything like, you know, but still, um, I just feel that eating and just, uh, again, just from things that I've read in my own self-research, you know, just about, uh, you know, eating is one of the most important things when an elderly person is sick, you know, that's when that's gone, it's kind of very, uh, it's kind of like towards the end. And, um, my dad seems to be really enjoying eating and and like I said, his cognition's not there. I mean, he's, I'm not going to be in denial about it, but definitely where he was in rehab when he is, it's like everyone visits him, it's a completely different man. And is well, it because of, so, yeah, so, why? Being around family, yeah. food, CBD, I don't know, but. Well, I'm sure that, um, and we, we only have a few minutes left, I'm sure. sure that there's an emotional impact on, uh, like you say, the fact that he's doing better, but knowing mm-hmm. that it it's probably not going to continue in that way. And maybe there Mm -hmm. are days when he isn't doing as well as other days. And I'm Mm -hmm. sure that has an emotional impact, correct? Yeah, in a nutshell, it's, uh, I think I've mentioned it to other people. It really teaches you about the present moment more than anything else in life, just how important it is. And just when he's having a good day, I'm like, you know what, he's having a good day. I'm going to give him a hug. I'm going to be present with him. I'm going to tell him I love him. And just really take those moments and not take them for granted. So that's something that it's taught me, for sure. I think that we all uh, we all think about those things when we're confronted with illness, but we forget them sometimes right. as we go about our, our day-to-day lives. Mm-hmm. How's your mom doing, by the way? My mom is a very feisty, strong woman. However, there are days where it's harder and she'll see the uh, fallout and she'll see, you know, what's the inevitable, you know, um, what's to come. So she'll have a hard time. But little by little, we have conversations and dialogue about it just so she's prepared. But like I said, we're all just trying to really enjoy the present moment and just be there for my dad. I have to say you sent me a picture of him a couple of weeks ago and I just couldn't Mm -hmm couldn't believe the transformation practically so i think you're all doing doing a great job and i'm sure you have lots of friends and family that are helping out in the process as well it takes a village here too not just with raising a kid but just with like end of life and helping seniors and you know that's yeah it takes a community so i'm very grateful for everyone and and people need support um, yeah, as you go through support. things. Like you said, you, your your partner had a, 
you know, your partner's mom was going through some of these things. You you get support from other people who are going through this or exactly. from people yeah. who are helping that you could lean on. So, yeah, you know, and, and just in the last few seconds, I wanted to thank you, uh, Nelson, and I want to thank um, our guest, Lynn Biart Gordon of the National and International Council of Certified Dementia Practitioners and Cameron Camp of the Center for Applied Research in Dementia. Uh, for your insights, your knowledge in dementia. And uh, I look forward to next week's show, actually, because I'm going to have on the show uh, Dan Cohen, who developed the program Music and Memory for People in Dementia. So Mm. I'm hoping people will tune in to hear Dan Cohen's insights and expertise as well on Voice America's Empowerment Channel on Voices for Elder Care Advocacy. Thank you for listening this week to Voices for Elder Care Advocacy. Please join your hosts, Phyllis Amon and Robina Chaudhry, again next Monday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time, on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Have a great week.